Yes, it does. Cleveland rocks. It'll be rocking tonight. Tuesday, recording it a little bit earlier so I can preview the Indians game. Also, recap it before I give you all of the weekend's action for you on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is episode 9, but like I said, recording it on Tuesday. Still going to give it to you Wednesday. Going to preview the World Series for you all. Going to go watch the game. Going to come back. Break down game one, look ahead to what game one's going to mean for the series after this. Once we get done with that, also going on in Cleveland tonight, we got the Cavaliers, the ring ceremony, finally getting their rings from the NBA title they just won back in June. Getting that, going to preview a little NBA for you. That's a new ball we haven't talked about before here on the sack. Awful excited for you all to hear my opinions on the upcoming NBA season, and as always, We're going to talk a little college football, a little NFL, and because y'all liked it so much, boom, we're bringing back the rapid fire for both of those sports. Before we begin, just want to thank you all, as always, for listening, tuning in, sharing this, whatever you do, however you support the show, thank you for doing so, thank you for supporting Carson Sack Podcast, this is episode 9, whether it was the first episode, the ninth episode, or it'll be the thousandth episode, this is where we talk balls. So let's get going, it's the biggest thing going in sports, my beloved Cleveland Indians taking on the Chicago Cubs, Cubs haven't won the Fall Classic since 1908, Indians haven't won it since 1948, do the math kids, it's 176 years Without a championship for either team. Uh, a lot can happen 176 years. You use your imagination. Look back in history. Look at your textbooks. You can tell. A lot can happen 176 years. But apparently what can happen are the Cubs and Indians winning a World Series. That being said, whatever team wins the World Series this year, history is going to be made. But you can't win the World Series if you don't win Game 1. So we look to that and we talk about that to get things going here on the SAC Podcast this week. Pitching for the Cubs in Game 1 is going to be John Lester, co-MVP of the National League Championship Series. He's 3-0 with a 0.43 ERA throughout the postseason. That's ridiculous. Going into the year and throughout the year, Jake Arrieta was the guy for the Cubs. Looked real strong. He's digressed a little bit. Obviously, Lester has come up, come over from the Red Sox with uh, Theo Epstein, just like he did from the Red Sox. Going to be real hard for the Indians' bats, who... I believe they only average about 1.6. I think that was their uh, batting average against the Blue Jays in the ALCS. Going to be real difficult for them if that's the type of average they're going to be getting out there and putting on the field. But the Indians, somehow, they find a way to win. They play a lot of small ball. I like that a lot about this team. They really rallied behind Terry Francona. Indians on this game, game one, they're going to be sending Corey Kluber out there. Kluber's been fantastic this entire postseason. And what is really going for the Indians, Terry Francona has a great bullpen under his belt. He's not asking his starters to go eight, seven, nine innings, anything like that. Go six. If you can, go seven. We got Andrew Miller, big reliever. Big setup guy as well. You can come in there, pitch two solid innings if you need it. And then you got Allen. The closer can come in and get lots of saves when you need them. Game one in Cleveland, I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think Cleveland, the fans, going to skyrocket them to a big win, get the series going off right. Have the Indians win in game one, 
Don't have a score on this. I think Kluber might get touched up a little bit. I think they might go to Miller maybe in the sixth inning, which is a little concerning. Maybe throw him six, seven, and eight. I don't know. That's not my decision. That's on you, Terry. But I think he might get touched up, but I also think Lesser might get touched up. What I think is going to happen, though, for the entire season series, it's going to be real back and forth inside the games, but I think... Nobody's really given the Indians a lot of respect, and respect they deserve. Swept the Red Sox, beat the Blue Jays in five, and everybody thought maybe the Red Sox might have been a little bit better, but everybody thought Indians don't have enough pitching or they don't have enough uh, bats to keep up with the Blue Jays, and they thought the Blue Jays were going to win. I really think that's the same case here. I don't think anybody's really given the Indians enough respect for this series, and if I had to guess... I'd say Indians in five, maybe six if we're wanting to celebrate in Cleveland. But I don't care where we celebrate because as long if we're celebrating, that means we won the thing. I don't care where it's at. I think once the Indians get going and they get over the fact that, hey, they're in it, the, all the pressure is on the Cups. They have the big curses. They have the all the things going. They have something to prove. The Indians... I feel like they haven't been thought of as being the better team in each of their series. Cubs have. I definitely think the pressure is more on the Cubs. They have a longer time without a championship. So pressure is going to be on Cubs. They're going to need to come through and perform. Can they? I don't know. Like I said, for the entire series, especially starting tonight, Indians are going to take this one five or six games. Six at the most. Five if we're being honest for myself roll tribe baby as i mentioned earlier though cleveland is not just a baseball town they also are home to the 2016 nba finals champion cleveland cavaliers led by a guy i don't know if you've heard of him lebron james also led by a guy kyrie irvin and let's not forget kevin love and so with all of that i'd like to preview the 2016-2017 NBA basketball season. Again, I'm going to be talking about the MLB game after it is completed. That breakdown and how that's going to affect the rest of the series will be at the end of the episode. But like I said, right now, let's talk a little basketball and talk a new ball into the sack for this podcast. The big news, obviously, this offseason in the NBA was the Warriors' addition of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma, leaving Russell Westbrook, and that whole situation to go to the Warriors, who blew a 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. Never going to let them forget that. They blew that lead to the Cavaliers, and what do they do? They go and sign probably the third best player in the NBA to go along with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Already, there's three all-NBA players right there. They just added a fourth. I think this is the only team in NBA history to have four at a time. Four all-NBA players, different teams of that. It's incredible. Just so much talent on that roster. What is concerning, though, what the Warriors didn't have and what they struggled with last year was good big men and consistent size bothered them. 
So, yes, they did get a great shooter in Kevin Durant. I'm not going to argue that. Kevin Durant's a great player, not just a shooter. It's so hard to come by someone his size, 7 foot, 6'11", whatever he is, and can shoot as well as he does. It's He is a once-in-a-generation player because of his skill set and his size and everything. But he's not a big 6'11", 7 foot. He's a real lanky type guy. So they didn't get much size. They lose Harrison Barnes. They lose Bogut. I'm not sure if they brought back Festus Azili, but Harrison Barnes with the Mavericks now, he was a really gritty player in the finals. He did go a little cold, wasn't hitting threes. If you look at it now in that offense, it's probably going to be KD taking those threes, and you don't imagine him going to be that cold. But what is concerning, what gave the Warriors problems was lack of big men and teams that were physical with them. So what do they do? They lose Harrison Barnes, a very physical player. They lose their two centers, Bogut, and I think they lost Azealia as well. So what are they going to do? They're going to make Draymond Green play the five. He's going to get banged around, and so many people are going to be able to get into his head. And he is a loose cannon at times, and that's really going to be interesting to see if uh, Steve Kerr and the rest of the Warriors can keep him in check all year, keep him out of technical foul trouble, out of foul trouble in most games like that. It's just going to be real interesting to see. With all that being said, in the NBA, sometimes to win games, you just have to have a player take over the game, score 10, 12, 15 points at a time, and like I said, take over the game. Last year, the Warriors had three guys that could do that. Two that were shooters with it in Clay and Steph, and then Draymond was, wasn't really a shooter, but could just get hard buckets when he needed to. You add Kevin Durant, and that's a fourth guy now that can just take over the game. And last year, I understand, they were 73-9, best regular season record of all time. Um, started the season 24-0. I could honestly see this Warriors team breaking that record just because of the sheer fact they are only going to need probably one or two of those big four to have a good game. They could have The other two could have an off night. And how many times do you really think two of them are going to have a great night and two aren't? More than likely, they're all going to have solid nights all the time. Or three of them are going to have a good night and one is going to take the back seat or get a lot of rest. I could see this Warriors team only losing about two games before the All-Star break, and then maybe four or five if we're lucky in the second half. And I think that would just be because of rest. And I could, like I said, I could see them breaking their own record from last year. Obviously, it doesn't mean anything without a ring. That's so far ahead. It's very hard to determine. Injuries could happen. Um, I really don't think the whole chemistry and gelling is going to be a huge problem because, like I said, they can all just take over. They can all get their own shots. Draymond, though, is probably going to lose his shots. He's probably going to be asked to do more of the dirty work, the rebounds, the assists, all that type of stuff, which he does, but it's going to be, like I said, interesting to see how he accepts his new role and how everyone on that team accepts their new role. I just think it's going to be more interesting because of Draymond. I think he has more um, stubbornness, more hard-headedness than anybody else on that team right now. With all that being said, though, if I'm Steve Currents later in the year, why not just play two of them at a time and give two of them a couple nights off and then let two of them play? Two nights off, like just keep them healthy. I would rather have an NBA championship every day of the week than uh, with like the record for most wins in a regular season all day. And I really think 
That's what they should be going for is the championship. Obviously, they're going to. I just don't think they need to put as much of an emphasis as they did last year on the regular season win record as they did this year. Like, with that being said, if everybody stays healthy for the Warriors, I think it's a real easy path for them in the West to the NBA Finals. Clearly, I think the Warriors are going to be on top of the West this entire season, but a lot of other interesting storylines to look at that are going to happen throughout this entire year. Two big ones you got to look at right out of the box. The departure of two all-time greats, Kobe Bryant from the Lakers, uh, Tim Duncan from the San Antonio Spurs. How are those teams going to be able to rebound? I'll talk about those a little bit later, but what I want to look at now is just some teams that probably going to make the playoffs, probably have good years, and then maybe some teams that might make the playoffs and be a little bit surprising to some people. With that being said, the first team I'm going to talk about that is probably going to make the playoffs, probably going to be pretty good all year long, especially behind Russell Westbrook, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I understand they lose Kevin Durant. The response to that, they brought in Victor Oladipo and they traded away Serge Ibaka, but they have Enos Cantor and Steven Adams, I apologize for not knowing that right off the bat. Steven Adams down low, both are very serviceable, both very good. And then they traded for a guy on draft night from Gonzaga, I forget his name, but has a lot of size, good motor, big body, rebounding machine, I like that. I also like that they brought in another scorer uh, with Victor Oladipo, so Westbrook, who was probably going to shoulder a lot of the load, probably going to try and do a lot of things for this team, and he can because he's such a freak athlete, but... On other nights, though, Victor Oladipo, who is also a freak athlete, a good scorer, can do some of that, and Westbrook can maybe take a back seat, not wear himself out for all 82 games. I think the Thunder are going to make it into the playoffs. Another team I think is going to make it and do really well, Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers are led by Damian Lillard, acquired Evan Turner in the offseason. Lillard is really looking to prove something this year. He is my pick for MVP this year. I just think he is so driven and just so annoyed with all the talk and being overlooked in the West that he's going to try and have an amazing year. And I think he's going to be able to. In the playoffs, though, I don't think they're going to be able to stay with with Oklahoma City or the Thunder. Or the Thunder. Oklahoma City is the Thunder, you idiot, Carson. I apologize. I don't think he could stay with the Thunder or the Warriors in a seven-game series, but... Throughout the year, I think he's going to put up great numbers for the Blazers, and they're going to be probably, a, if they're lucky, a third at worst, I'm thinking, fifth seed in the West, which is still pretty good. The next team I'm going to look at, this is the Undertaker's team this year, because if they don't win, it's their last ride together. Talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, Blake Griffin, Deontay Jordan, Chris Paul, that big three was thought to be the big three of the future, two great big men, Blake so explosive on offense, DeAndre a great rebounder, a great defender, Chris Paul wasn't able to go to the Lakers, but was able to go to the Clippers, great point guard in his own right, not as good as everybody thinks he is in my own opinion, but that's another story for another day, it's their last ride together, if they don't win a championship this year, They're getting blown up. Somebody's getting traded. Maybe both guys are getting traded, and Chris Paul is going to be the only guy there left. I don't know what they're going to do, but some a change is going to be made by the Clippers if they don't win this year, and I totally agree with that. They've had plenty of opportunities, and they just haven't been getting the job done. The last team that I'm going to call a lock for a playoff spot in the Western Conference, San Antonio Spurs. 
as I mentioned earlier, they just lost the face of the franchise in Tim Duncan, and he was the face of the franchise for so many years, and his impact for that whole team and the whole community was just so impressive and something to be admired about. He's, in my opinion, a top 10 player of all time, one of, if not the best, power forwards slash centers ever to play the game. He is whatever you want to call him, a power forward center. He could play both positions. Great player. What they have to replace him, though, isn't a slouch himself. LaMarcus Aldridge Aldridge is going to slide right back in, start for them. Probably going to need to shoulder more of the load this year for them, so I'm really interested. He was able to do that in Portland when he was up there. I think he'll only do it even better now that he's with the Spurs. So like I said, the only other team that I have for a lock to make the the Western Conference playoffs, San Antonio Spurs. Now, those are my, I guess, locks that I think are going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. These are some teams that I'm not real sure about, but they're going to be fun to watch all year. I can't wait to watch them. The Timberwolves and that real young roster with uh, Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, Ricky Rubio, Zach Levine, and then they add Chris Dunn through the draft this year. Going to be exciting. I don't know if they're going to be able to make the playoffs just because um, I think they're going to need a year to gel, maybe a year or more to get maybe one or two more years to get a little bit more experience. But in the future, I think this team is going to be great. Going to be fun to watch this year. Another team that probably is going to make the playoffs, but is going to be real interesting to watch the Los Angeles Lakers. Like I said, losing Kobe Bryant, probably the second best shooting guard of all time, top 10 player, whatever you want to say. I don't know. Great player, Hall of Fame player, losing him. D'Angelo Russell's been looking real good in preseason. They add Brandon Ingram through the draft. They sign Timothy Mozgov. I'm really interested, though, to see how the ex-Wildcat, Julius Randle, can improve in his second full year in the league. I hope he can improve because if he can, I'm really rooting for this guy. If he can, he's going to be a great power forward in the league for years to come. Another team with a lot of ex-cats on it. The uh, Phoenix Suns, real interested to see how Tyler Eulis is going to do in his first year, in his rookie year, if they're going to let him play a lot or if they're just going to let him be a bench warmer. Devin Booker is becoming a superstar out there for them, one of the quietest superstars that not a lot of people know about. Had a great rookie year, seeing if he can build on that his sophomore year. Another team that could, if everybody was healthy, I'd really think they could be a threat in the West. The Pelicans, if Anthony Davis can keep it together, he has a chance to be MVP of the entire league and get the Pelicans into the playoffs again this year. The Rockets with Mike D'Antoni, their new coach, not going to play any defense. Could imagine they're going to give up 130 points a game, but as long as they score 131, I think they're, I don't think, I know they'll win the game, but... I think they're going to score a lot of points. I think James Harden is going to have a great year. A lot of points. They want him to run point guard. He, I've never really known him for his passing. He's only been known really for his ability to get to the rim, draw fouls, score, shoot a little bit. Never for his defense. God, no. But in Mike D'Antoni's system, he's not going to ask him to play defense. He's going to ask him to score, and that's what he's good at. That'll wrap things up for out west. Now we shift gears to go a little bit to the east, previewing them. Big story, obviously, at the top of the league, as always, the Cleveland Cavaliers coming off, as I said, their conf- their uh, NBA Finals championship to wrap up last year's season. Again, they return everyone from that team, except Mo Williams, who they just waved. J.R. Smith was signed back. LeBron re-signed. 
Kyrie is still there. Kevin Love is still there. The gang's all back. Don't foresee anyone really challenging them in the East this year. Probably not a matter of who is going to beat them. It's just who are they going to beat in the Eastern Conference Finals to make it to the Finals again. LeBron, that'll be his seventh NBA Finals in a row. Just ridiculous. Um, Kyrie, I really think, as I said, Damian Lillard has a good chance, but I've heard other people make this case, and I really like the points they made. Maybe LeBron takes a backseat this year, lets Kyrie have some better games, puts up some big numbers. Maybe he gets some MVP votes, maybe somehow wins it. And then if they do end up facing the Warriors, LeBron can just tell Kyrie, we're the better team. You're the freaking MVP. I am who I am. Kevin is pretty damn good too. And that's just a big boost of confidence that Kyrie could have for the for the uh, Cavaliers if he does end up winning the MVP. I understand it's a long shot because that team is going to run a lot of stuff through LeBron. But if LeBron, how he has been doing in the regular season, just takes a little bit of a backseat some games, takes um, some extended rest periods, maybe misses a week or two of games. It's Kyrie's team then, and he could put up some big numbers and maybe sneak his way into the MVP talk. The next two teams I'm going to talk about coming out of the East, teams that made some big acquisitions in free agency this offseason have pretty much been the talk of the NBA besides the Warriors and the Cavs this offseason. One, you got to look at the uh, New York Knicks, adding Joe Kim Noah, Derrick Rose, both ex-Bulls players, both a little bit past their prime if you ask me. Joe Kim really slowed down last year. Injuries are starting to hamper him a little bit, but if he's healthy and can play how he used to play just a little bit, I think he's at least averaging a double-double, which is real big to go along with uh, Porzingis in New York and with Carmelo. Derrick Rose, though, he's fallen a long way down since his MVP year. Don't know how he's going to fare if he can stay healthy. I really hope so because he's a great basketball player, but injuries have really just been the story of his career besides that MVP. And as I said, he's only gone downhill since that MVP year, but if he can play... As half as good as he did that MVP year, they'll be all right. Another acquisition they added was Brandon Jennings. Really good player. Really exciting to see how he's going to be able to mesh with Rose. Brandon Jennings, um, good player. Gone around to a couple different teams. I like his game. I like how aggressive and uh, competitive he is. So it's going to be interesting to see how all these new pieces mix with the already existing pieces that... The New York Knicks had with Carmelo and then Porzingis. Carmelo looking at the twilight years, I bet, of his career, but still going to be interesting to see how all these people get pieced together and how their chemistry works and whatnot. A lot of people are saying that's a super team, but I don't see it. I definitely think they can make the playoffs and maybe they could actually win a series just because I think they have enough players that, especially with Carmelo and Rose and Jennings, who can will their team to win sometimes when things aren't going that way for the entire team. So, like I said, Knicks probably make the playoffs, maybe even win a series, but besides that, it's not looking too good in New York. The other team I mentioned at the start of this section, the Chicago Bulls, adding Dwayne Wade, the hometown boy, also adding Rajon Rondo in the offseason to pair with Jimmy Butler, who was in a lot of trade talks near the end of last season, but they ended up keeping him. I really like that. Jimmy Butler is going to be one of the best players in the league here in a few short years, if he's not already. The big question with this team is there's a lot of alpha males, a lot of uh, stubbornness when it comes to whose team it's going to be. 
Dwayne Wade has come out and said it's Jimmy's team. Rondo has said it's Jimmy's team. And I think that's the way it should be. I think it is Butler's team. He was drafted there. They believed in him the most. Um, he's the youngest. I think he has the most upside out of both of the, out of all three of those guys. So I think it should be Jimmy's team. If I had to put a guess on it, I think they might face the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that'll be fun to see Dwayne versus LeBron, two buddies going at it. But I don't think they're a real threat to win the East or anything like that. Again, I'm really interested to see how the alpha maleness between those three guys is going to work, but. Probably a big year for the Bulls. Maybe bring back some magic from the Jordan years. Not as electric, but still exciting to see if you're a Bulls fan. Now that I covered the big three of the teams that I think are going to make a big splash in the East this year, going to talk a little bit about some other teams, just run through them real quick. The 76ers, Ben Simmons is out until January, but really excited to see Joel Embiid. His rookie year is going to be this year. I think he's rookie of the year without a doubt. Trust the process is his slogan, his saying that he's been doing. I trust it. Philadelphia should trust it because I think you got a great player in him for years to come. The Milwaukee Bucks, Jabari Parker, Akatapuko, Anatapuko. I'm so sorry. I butchered that. I apologize. Giannis, he and I are boys. I can say that. I probably messed that up too. But him and the Bucks and Jabari. I like what they're doing. I like what they're building out in Milwaukee. The Celtics draft Jalen Brown. Really questionable pick at the time. Could have had some other players, but I really like what he's done in the preseason. He's going to bolster that roster really quickly with the departure of Evan Turner. They're going to need somebody to come in and replace his production. Jalen Brown's going to do that, I think. I really like what they got going in Boston. Brad Stevens has just consistently got that team better. They're going to be good. The Hornets, they made the playoffs last year. Don't know if that's going to be the same again. The Pacers are always dangerous with Paul George and Monte Ellis. The Pistons were pretty good last year if Drummond and Reggie Jackson just keep improving what they've been doing. I like them. The Raptors, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry both re-signed, so they're going to be dangerous. Going to see Drake at a lot of games there. Going to be a fun atmosphere, as always, up in the six. The Wizards were a lot of people's sneaky pick in the East last year. They fell flat on their face. Can John Wall and the rest of that team rebound, especially for Bradley Beal? He's going to need a big year for them. Um, that'll do it for the East. That's pretty much it. The Cavs are the team to beat, and that's that. Okay, boys and girls. We talked about baseball, talked a little NBA. Now we get to the fun stuff. Going to talk a little football, and as always, going to start off with college football and the week that was. There's only really two games I need to break down. The rest will probably be a little rapid fire. I know how much y'all love that. First one I'm going to look at is the Ohio State-Penn State game. Second-ranked Buckeyes went to Happy Valley and left pretty unhappy because the Penn State Nittany Lions pulled off the upset 24-21. Really painful for me to watch as a Buckeye fan, but... It's encouraging because Urban Meyer, every year he's won a national championship. That team has not been undefeated. They've had at least one loss. And the things that Ohio State was doing, their offensive line play was pretty poor. I know it's a lot to ask in the middle of the season to make some big changes, but they can make some adjustments that can set them up for success in the future. And I think Urban and the rest of the coaching staff is going to be able to do that for the Buckeyes in the upcoming. And again, the Buckeyes win out, win the Big Ten. I don't foresee any reason why they can't make the playoff. Penn State, it's a big win for that program, especially after the scandal that they had. I think this is a win you can point to for 
the program, and if you're a Penn State fan, especially if you're James Franklin and recruiting, be like, we're competitive. We can beat these big, the big teams in the Big Ten. You clearly see that, and you use that as a recruiting pitch, and it's just good for the whole community because Penn State football was that community, and after all that happened and the sanctions, everything, it rocked them and really crumbled what they had going on. But big win. I'm not happy that they won. I'm really upset Ohio State lost, but I'm I can respect and see the dividends that how big of a win this is and how much it's going to pay off for the Nittany Lions in the long run. Now we go from Pennsylvania. We go down to Alabama and check in on them good old boys, the first ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Where they welcomed the six-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. They welcomed them, they tanned their ass, and they sent them back to Texas. It was a close game at half. Trevor Knight had a big touchdown run at the end of the first court, at the end of the first half, my apologies. And it was 13-6 or 13-7, I believe. Like I said, real close. And then Alabama, the halftime adjustments really just came up big for them. Nick Saban probably got in a lot of guys' faces. You know how he does. Um, Alabama, like I said, comes out in the second half. Texas A&M only scored a touchdown in the second half. Alabama scored 20 points. Alabama looks above and beyond better than everyone in the country. It's really scary because this team is super young. O.J. Howard, the tight end, eight receptions, 69 yards, and a touchdown. I really like his game. It pains me to say that. Alabama has a couple tough games left on the schedule, but if they play like they've been playing against teams, I don't foresee them losing. I thought this was going to be the game where they would slip up, but Nick Saban and those good old boys, they just find a way to win. Alabama, like I said, winning this one 33-14 over the 6th-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. And with that being said, we now move on It's time for a little rapid fire. First game, boom! It looked like 1986 because the SMU Mustangs and the Pony Express ran right over the 11th ranked Houston Cougars, 38-16 for the big upset. Boom! Next game, Clint Eastwood might have been on the field because it was a shootout in Lubbock, Texas between Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Oklahoma wins this one 66-59. The Red Raiders might have lost this game, but they still got the most handsome coach in all the land in Cliff Kingsbury. So keep your head up on that one, Cliff. Boom! Next game, 23rd-ranked Ole Miss Rebels go to LSU, 25th in the country, and lose. LSU comes out on top, 38-21. Leonard Fournette, a real man's man. 16 carries, 284 yards, 3 touchdowns. It's a man's game, people. And he's not just a man. He is the man down there in Baton Rouge. Next game, boom, Memphis goes to the 24th ranked Navy Midshipmen, and Navy got their seamen all over the Tigers in a 42-28 victory. Next game, boom, North Carolina State after that devastating missed field goal loss to Clemson last week, looking to go into the oven of UofL and shut that thing off before the cookies and the pizza could even get out of it. But... Louisville had other plans as Lamar Jackson, 355 yards, three touchdowns through the air, 17 carries, one touchdown for 76 yards. Lamar Jackson, Jackson, give him the Heisman right now. Last game, boom! 
Mississippi State goes to Commonwealth Stadium and they lose a heartbreaker as the Cats come out on top 40-38 after a big last second 51-yard field goal and two more wins ladies and gentlemen and the Cats they're going bowling so get out rent some shoes get yourself a nice shiny ball because we're Wait a second, I'm being informed. We're not going that type of bowling. We're going to a football bowl game, ladies and gentlemen. Two more wins for the Cats. It's doable. Be on the lookout. And that is your rapid fire for last week's college football week. Whew. That was something else, wasn't it, folks? That was your rapid fire recap. Now I'm going to look ahead. There's only a couple games I want to talk about. Number 7, Nebraska going to the 11th ranked Wisconsin Badgers. It's a night game. Wisconsin's a 9-point favorite. I love what Nebraska's been doing all year long. I think they've flown under people's radars. Um, Armstrong, the quarterback there, is a great quarterback. I like Nebraska a lot in this one. Not just to cover, but to win the whole game. Next game I want to look at, 15th ranked Auburn Tigers at 5-2 go to Ole Miss, who's sitting at 3-4. Ole Miss has just played a real tough schedule. The record reflects that. If Auburn wins this, they're too legit. They're too legit to quit and could be a real problem in the SEC West. If Auburn loses this, they're not legit. And if so, if you're not legit, you might as well just quit. I like Ole Miss in this one. Probably not by a lot. I think Auburn is kind of legit. So keep it close for a little while, but Ole Miss in the end comes out on top in this game. The next game, it's a big matchup. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it. I don't know enough about it. It sees the fourth-ranked Washington Huskies going to the 17th-ranked Utah Utes. What is a Ute? I don't know, but... I like Washington in this one. Utah's ground game has always been really well. I think it's consistently good this year as well. But I think Washington keeps that in check. And I think Washington's quarterback, I'll tell you his name in one sec. His name is something Browning. He's been having a great year under the radar. 26 touchdowns, 1,709 yards, only two interceptions on the year. I think he's going to have a big game, and the Huskies are going to come out on top in this one. Last game to look at for this upcoming week, third-ranked Clemson goes to 12th-ranked Florida State. I don't understand how Florida State is ranked 12th. I understand they've lost to some good teams. If Florida State wins this, wow, I just don't see it happening. Um, I think it's going to be another game for Clemson like UofL where they played a good team and they're going to play up to that competition. They're going to show up and Clemson's going to probably put their foot on Florida State's neck and at the in the second half and just choke them out and the game really show that they're a team to be taken serious because besides that UofL win they haven't been playing good they've been close in games they shouldn't be if Florida State does win this they're right back in contention for the ACC and that's big if they have any hopes of making the college football playoff this year now that we talked about the amateurs we get to talk about the people that get to paid to do this sort of thing or at least paid legally the amateurs could still get paid we just might not know about it talking nfl there's really only two games i want to dive into a little bit first one the eagles hand the vikings their first loss of the year 21 10 and before we get into this um the vikings coach the vikings had a bye last week and he did some weird stuff to get some messages across to his team. Apparently he took some stuffed animals and laid them all throughout the locker room and the facility and then took a big 
um, stuffed animal and slit it by its throat, and so were the other small ones, and I guess you put ketchup or food dye or something to simulate, like, cutting their throats, and it was supposed to be, like, only fat cats get slaughtered, so don't get complacent, but good lord, think of a better way to get that message across. Maybe shoot an email, group text, group me, I maybe tell them in person, I don't know, you see them every day, just a real ridiculous way to get the point across. Looking at the game, though, normally if the Eagles are winning, it's because Carson Wentz is having a pretty solid, consistent day, but the Eagles' defense really showed up in this one. Bradford turned the ball over one time with an interception. Um, It was just the Eagles' defense not letting the Vikings' offense get into any rhythm at all. Carson Wentz only had 138 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, so the Vikings' defense was still itself. 21 points in this league is kind of on the low end. I think the Vikings might have been able to win, but like I said, last week I said, don't say I didn't tell you so. This was one of my upsets, one of the week, and it came through. I'm pretty happy with myself. Because like I just said, to recap this game, Eagles win 21-10, handing the Vikings their first loss of the year. Pop your champagne, uh, Mr. Moon. You're still undefeated. Still going to be the only team undefeated for one more year. The next game I want to look at was a Sunday night game. And Before I get into it, I just want to know from my listeners, do you ever kiss your cousin? Maybe your good-looking cousin? I don't know. Because apparently that's what it feels like to tie in a game. And apparently the Seahawks and the Cardinals battle the birds. Oh! Oh! That's what they did. They decided, hey, let's just go kiss our cousins this week. Because in overtime, at the end of the game, it was 6-6. What people were criticizing was the offenses and everything like that. I think... The way to look at this is just two really good teams with two really good defenses who face each other twice a year, and then sometimes in the playoff, they just have their systems figured out, and that's what you get sometimes. Um, Neither team was able to get anything going. Carson Palmer had 342 yards. What I'm really more interested in talking about, though, is Russell Wilson. He is declining not rapidly, but he is not performing at the level I thought he would at all this year. A little upsetting. Again, Sunday night game, big game. Apparently, ratings have been falling a little bit for the NFL. This isn't going to help their case at all. If you're tying and it's slow scoring, it's a defensive struggle, the casual fan isn't going to tune into that. Maybe your hardcore fans will, but the casual fan wants 40 to 50 games where points are being put on the board. Ratings have been falling. Like I said, this isn't going to help matters at all. Stop kissing your cousins, Seahawks and Cardinals. We don't need any more ties out of you all. And that goes for the rest of the NFL as well. We looked back on the NFL previous week, so now we can look ahead. And this whole segment right now is going to be all... (laughs) Rapid Fire. First game of the week, Thursday night. Boom! Jaguars going to the Titans. It's going to be a fashion show out there with those Color Rush uniforms. And that Marcus Mariota, he is so hot right now. I'll take the Titans to strut their way to victory over the Jaguars on Thursday night. Game 2, boom! Redskins going to the Bengals. Jeremy Hill's going to have a big game and rumble to two touchdowns for a big win for the Bengals. Bringing them to 4-4, four and four, 500 on the year. Next game, boom, Chiefs, Colts, Andrew Luck going to lead his team to victory, then probably going to get lucky after the game, Colts over the Chiefs in this one, 
Don't say I didn't tell you so. Next game, boom, we go down to the bayou where the Seahawks are going to fly in and take a dump right all over the Saints. Saints' only chance of winning this one if all the Saints go marching in, and I just don't think the tuba section's up for it this week. Their tuba section's their defense, folks, just to clarify. Next game. We're going to look at the Jets against the Browns. New week, I guess that's Hughes' cue to put in a new quarterback for the Browns, but uh-uh, not this week. We're going to ride Kevin Hogan to a victory. First one of the year, Browns over the Jets. Don't say I didn't tell you so. Bet the house on this one. Next game. Boom. We got the Patriots going to the Bills, and once this thing's all said and done, I think the Ryan brothers are going to be happier than they are before the meal on Thanksgiving, because I got the Bills winning this one, and I got them winning a close game, a very important game for the year to keep their momentum going, and hopefully win the AFC East, if not, get a playoff, big win for the Bills this weekend. Next game, boom, the Chargers are going to try and light up the Denver Broncos, but no bro. The Broncos will already play at mile high, and they will stone the Chargers this week. Broncos over the Chargers. Next game, boom, Packers, Falcons. Give me the Packers. Let Aaron Rodgers throw the ball 100 times. Don't run the ball once, Mike McCarthy. Don't do it. You can still win if you don't. Packers show just how obsolete a running game is in the NFL this week and beat the Falcons. Last game, boom, the Eagles in the Wentz wagon. Come on down to Jerry World, but leave with the loss. Ezekiel Elliott clips some feathers. Dak Prescott fries up some eagles, and the Cowboys win this game big on Sunday Night Football. All right, folks, let's just settle down a little bit. That took a lot out of me. I'm sure that took a lot out of you listening. Let's all take a deep breath. Let it in, let it out, just breathe. And now, as I promised, talk to you. As I did at the beginning about the World Series, I watched Game 1 tonight in Cleveland. The Indians win the game 6-0. And the story all year as it has been for Cleveland, the pitching was stupendous. Corey Kluber goes 6 innings. He gets the win. 4 hits, 0 earned run, 9 strikeouts. The man set the World Series record for strikeouts for the Indians in the 3rd inning. Nine strikeouts, very impressive. Andrew Miller came in, bases were loaded in the seventh, I believe. He pitched two innings, didn't give up a freaking run. So impressive to have the bases loaded and have zero outs and to still just come out of that unscathed. Very impressive. Corey Allen, again, the closer, just so big. An inning pitched, a hit. But again, most importantly, no runs across the plate. Um, For the Indians on the offensive side, Perez, two home runs, three home runs, three run shot in the uh, eighth inning, just so big. What is so surprising is they're getting production, the Indians are, from so many different people. And you would expect it might be Lindor or Napoli or Santana. It's just from so many different guys. This guy was hitting ninth. And, I mean, I think he's hitting ninth for a reason. And he's not even the DH. He just ha- It's just so impressive. And it really speaks to just Francona and the entire Indians organization and the chemistry and everything they have where if – One guy isn't playing too well. Somebody else steps right up, and it's just so impressive. 
Now to look at the other side, I guess to look at the losers. Talk about the Cubs a little bit. John Lester, their ace, 3-0 this postseason with a 0.42 ERA. Cubs trying to get that freaking goat off their back, win the World Series. They finally make it, and this is the showing they come out in Game 1 and give us, losing 6-0. If there's any little encouraging thing you could say was when Andrew Miller, who has been lights out for Cleveland in the postseason so far, they got some hits on him. They loaded the bases. They just couldn't get it converted. A little concerning for me as an Indians fan, I hope we did not use all our bats this game. I hope we still have some runs left up in us this series. I think we do. Andrew Miller, I like how he responded to when he was in controversy because he hasn't been in it in about a month, but he responded real well. That's real big. You like to see that. Again, if you're the Cubs, the big takeaway from this is you were able to get some hits off him, and he doesn't look invincible as he has the past couple games. Game two, you got Arietta going against Tomlin in Cleveland. Arietta, who I think is the best pitcher the Cubs have, despite the recent success that Lester has had. I think Arietta comes out, has a real solid outing. I think Tomlin does as well. I love how Tomlin pitches. He's so scrappy, just mixes his pitches up so well gets hitters confused with eye level and position and everything i expect a big game from lindor maybe a home run maybe a couple rbis maybe a party at napoli's i'd love to go i heard they give out free beer why not party at napoli's all right cool 2-0 lead for the indians after tomorrow night's game why not believe lind will be it'll be rocking i could i can't wait to see it well Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes Carson Sack, Episode 9. 8 was great. 9 was a lot more than just fine. I hope you all agree. Again, the continued support, it means so much. Thank you for listening, retweeting, liking, whatever you do to support this. Thank you so much. Please continue to do that. I'll be back next Wednesday with Episode 10. We're finally in double digits, folks. It's a big landmark episode. Might have something special planned for you. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear from some special guests. Who knows? I I got love for my fans. I'll give you the best show I can give you for number 10. Thank you, as always, for listening. And as always, as we close it out here on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we'll be seeing you.